Let's go another direction. Let's go in Hebrews chapter 12 this morning. And I want somebody to get for me uh, Proverbs 22, 28. Somebody like to get that for me, Dennis, Proverbs 22, 28. I want somebody to uh, volunteer to read Hebrews 12, 14 is uh, Brian. And then somebody to read for me 1 Peter 1, 13 through 16. Somebody like to do that. Uh, Samantha. So we have begun uh, a series of lessons on landmarks and boundaries. And uh, we had a very uh, good session, the last uh, lesson we had. And to lock our minds in for a moment, what we're really dealing with is reference points of life. Uh, it's very difficult uh, for us in America. We have a structured society. We have a, uh, quite an orderly society. It's difficult for us to fully comprehend uh, the many uh, uh, reference points and boundaries that we have in life. Uh, when we drive on the highway, generally, if you stay on your side of the road and, and observe the white line, uh, you're going to be all right. Isn't that correct? But if you go into a third world country, it's no, there is no rules. It's whoever gets down first. That's what uh, is the name of the game. And so it's very difficult for us to, uh, to comprehend. When you uh, go into most foreign countries, when you uh, get in a line, there is no line. It's uh, whoever gets there first and before you get to the counter of whatever it is you're doing you have to enter the game and elbows and and uh, pushing and shoving and and so on and, and that's just how that's how they function and to you this is shocking hey i was in the line you have to orderly go through but you see to them uh those rules don't apply it's uh, whoever gets there first gets it if you don't get there you don't get it so we function in an orderly society and uh, the bible gives wonderful revelation about uh, the circumstances of life. We, uh, we function uh, in the spiritual realm and, and reference marks. And there's a uh, powerful uh, passage, it's just one of about seven, I believe, Proverbs 22, 28. If I could have that read, uh, this is where we're referencing from to do this Bible study on landmarks and boundaries. Uh, Dennis, you'll read that for us. It is astonishing how many times that's used in the scripture and the profound meaning that it has as you begin to uh, think about that. Uh, this is a command and this uh, is a warning and says, Do not remove these ancient landmarks which your fathers have set. And so uh, we uh, referenced before that this uh, marked out a territory. Uh, and it set forth boundaries and fields. This is uh, uh, either by stones or posts. This is before the common practice of, of extensive fencing, uh, which we're very familiar with today. And uh, this established a title deed. Uh, it uh, 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 it uh, defined the boundaries with which uh, one could uh, operate in life. Uh, you could indulge uh, yourself to pursue uh, the use of that, because you established title to that, you could grow crops on that. Those were your crops. You could uh, build buildings on that. These were your buildings. You could plant vineyards. These were your vineyards and orchards. And in other words, uh, the basic understanding of landmarks and boundaries is that you lived life within these landmarks and these boundaries. That's the basic thought is there. And it's astonishing how much of this is in the Scripture. And I want to deal uh, this morning with uh, the subject of holiness. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, if I could have that uh, scripture. Holiness. Pursue peace with all people and holiness with 
All right, here's a New Testament uh, proclamation by the Apostle Paul. We're going to go back and bring in a little more of that a little later on. But he says, Pursue peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see God. Now, that's a pretty, uh, that's a pretty straightforward statement. 1 Peter 1, 13 through 16 gives us a little bit of interesting statements uh, elaborating. Uh, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Here's this picturesque language of the New Testament. It, uh, it has the idea uh, of uh, the uh, dress of the day where they wore a sash or a belt or a girt. And if they were to indulge in any strenuous activity, uh, any running, any, uh, any work of, uh, of, uh, of uh, requiring physical exertion, uh, if they were to enter a battle, uh, they first would take the loose uh, skirts of their uh, dress, uh, their robes, and uh, they would girt them around their loins. And so here he says, gird up the loins of your mind. So that immediately conveys a mental uh, practice. This mental practice is, is that you're going to have to uh, discipline or bring under control or uh, uh, bring forth some kind of uh, structure so that your mind is not blown this way and that way by every event of life, and it's not wandering about uh, by the trends, the fads, and the currents of life. Go ahead, Samantha. Rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, you're talking to believers not shaping or conforming, uh, no longer let the uh, molding of, uh, of uh, the world uh, cause your life to conform to the former lust. Lust is, uh, is uh, uh, unlawful desire. It could be many, many things. And so uh, it, it talks about uh, the former life, the former mentality, the former pursuit. Go ahead. As in your ignorance. You were, you were ignorant when you did that. But as he who calls you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. Okay, so let's, uh, let's kind of open this as we start and lock our minds in from uh, all the troubles that you've got all this week and, and see if we can get a definition of holiness and see if anybody knows what we're talking about. Somebody tell us what we're talking about. Pursue holiness without which no man shall see God. And the statement, this is, a, this is under grace, this is Paul under grace, says, uh, you be holy uh, because uh, one who's called you is holy. And he says to you in the Old Testament, he's quoting that, you be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy. What does it mean to be holy? Brian? Right, the basic understanding is to be consecrated or set apart to God. And, uh, and that, would, of course, would involve his will, wouldn't it? Okay, anybody else have a, a little added, anything added there? Grinding gears here this morning. Uh, Jeff Brown. Okay. They hate it. Why would they hate it? Only those who are not holy would hate holiness. 
<laughs> where, where are they doing that? I haven't seen any. Okay, so without getting sidetracked, it's a very good point, and that's uh, coming out of his experience. And so here we have uh, this thing brought into full, uh, uh, full perspective, and you'll hear very little of this talked about uh, today. Isn't this correct? And when you do, they equate it with a certain kind of people. Okay, so let's move on. And so we want to we want to move on in history a little bit of biblical background. I need Isaiah six one through five. Somebody, a loud, clear voice, would like to read that for me quickly. You respond, and we'll save a lot of time and learn a lot. Brian Simmons, Isaiah six one through five, Exodus chapter three verse five, uh, Valerie, First Samuel six nineteen through twenty one, uh, Jim Redabow. And uh, and so we need Hebrews two twelve through seventeen. Somebody like to get that? Pete Baker. Uh, it's uh, Morse and Leviticus ten one through five. Joel. I need Second Chronicles twenty six sixteen through twenty one. Somebody in this section quickly. Second Bill Brunson. Okay. So uh, uh, what we have is a long history of reference to the subject of holy and holiness, and we want to look a, li- a little bit of that. And uh, when we look at the Bible, we're looking at God's self-revelation. The Bible is God's self-revelation to humanity, and it also reveals man's human reaction to that revelation of God. Isaiah 6, 1 through 5, gives us a little insight. Okay, here's uh, Isaiah. He relates a real-life vision and encounter he had with God. He said, I saw the Lord. He's high and lifted up. He's trained through the temple. Uh, the, uh, uh, I saw some uh, angelic heavenly creatures, and they were crying out, Holy, holy, holy. Uh, smoke filled the place. It was an awesome sight. And when they spoke that, uh, I saw the, the building begin to shake. And he says, uh, as my response to what I saw in the revelation of God, then I cried out, I'm a man of unclean lips, and then the angel takes a coal from off the altar and cleanses his lips. So here we have uh, a, an understanding of holiness. Uh, holiness, then from that, would uh, give us a little bit of, uh, uh, of an added. So some, somebody give us a little definition here. What, what, here's holiness, and uh, uh, Don, uh, Don Schultz. Okay, that's true. Yep, that's true. We see that. And there's an added inflection. Uh, Bill Bronson? Okay. As, 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 uh, holiness will show uh, that, you, that it, it'll affect your conduct. Are you still with me? It will affect your conduct. Okay, and uh, Anna? Not something we have because of our fallen nature. No. What, what do we have? Which brings what? Attitude. What kind of attitude? What? What? Still not understanding. A wrong attitude. Yes, all right. Which is what? Rebellion. A lack of reverence is what I'm looking for. There's a lack of reverence. Okay? Think about that as we move on through this. And uh, Exodus 3, verse 5. Then he said, Do not draw near this place, 
Here's Moses. He's at the burning bush, the backside of the desert. God's now going to call him out for his purposes. And uh, he sees the bush burning. It's not consumed. He's curious about this. He turns aside. And when he turns aside to examine why this bush is not uh, being consumed, uh, God speaks to him and says, Put your shoes off your feet, for the place whereon you stand is holy ground. The presence of God will bring a reverence. Then we have First uh, Samuel six nineteen through twenty one. It's a very interesting little scenario. Here's seventy of the men of Betshemesh. This is the Ark of the Covenant. This is uh, Eli. His sons have caused the uh, the uh, loss of the uh, Ark, and uh, falls into the hands of the men of Betshemesh. And uh, they look into the Ark. This is where the uh, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark got their inspiration from. They look into the ark. Seventy of them die. Uh, and go ahead, Jim. Okay, so they uh, they uh, are are held in reverence because of what they see happening, and they send a message. They say this is a holy God, a holy God, and so we want to get rid of this. We don't like this thing here because it causes us real problems, which is why a lot of people don't like to be in the presence of God. That's why uh, Jeff, the Jehovah Witnesses, hate holiness people. Is because they feel something from them that condemns them. I had a hand. Don? Because dress often is symbolic of the attitude of your heart. And so we're going to get into that in a little while. We'll, we'll. I'll, I'll make you mad before I leave, and so we'll. Uh, tell you. So, Jeff. Boundaries are set up, so this is fitting right in, isn't it, with what we're talking about, uh, which is very perceptive, Jeff. So, so without even saying this is a boundary, you can automatically see that there is a boundary. Go ahead. Automatic reaction is all in reverence. Isn't that correct, and, uh, Carol? Uh, 
it fits more in with the works of approaching God. Okay, we, say, we sing a chorus, uh, I stand, I stand in awe of you. Remember the chorus? And uh, it's a much better chorus than some of these little upbeat, yuppie choruses, whether it's me, 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 and uh, holy God to whom all praise is due. So uh, to properly respond to this is to profane God. So Hebrews 12, 12 through 17, I'd like to have that read out loud. Hebrews 12, who would I give that to? Pete Baker. Hebrews 12, 12 through 17. All right, here's the Apostle Paul. He's writing to the Hebrews. He moves this into, uh, 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 it's, a, it's almost a double speaking. As a conduct has to do with the, the attitude of your heart that brings a conduct. Uh, uh, lift up the hands that hang down uh, and make straight paths for your feet. Watch what you're doing. Go ahead. Pursue peace with all men and holiness. Pursue without which no man shall see God. Pay attention to the conduct of your life. Now, this goes without saying that in the uh, upbeat generation in which we live, this is like talking in Chinese. Go ahead. Lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Watch the attitude of your heart, because if you allow bitterness to come in, It's going to to affect your walk. This walk is a walk. There's to be a straight walk, a walk before God and before man. Go ahead. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau. For one morsel of food, sold his birthright. All right, what was the problem uh, uh, with Esau that he sold his birthright? Somebody tell me. Uh, Dennis? Sold out his, uh, inheritance, his future inheritance for the temporal satisfaction. Why did he do that? <clears throat> because he had an immediate appetite and he wasn't uh, willing to wait for that to be satisfied. Immediate gratification. That's good. Okay. Carol? He did not hold sacred the thing that God had given him, which was the birthright. Okay, God had given him the birthright. He said, so what? I'm hungry. Immediately gratified the appetites of his flesh. And this, in the New Testament, pulls him up as an example and uses it in this same passage with holiness, doesn't it? Uses it in the same passage and says, you be very careful that you don't uh, become a profane person like Esau, a fornicator. In other words, you treat something uh, uh, sacred with abuse or you desecrate that. That's the meaning of uh, of the thought that is there. We want Leviticus 10, 1 through 5. Nadab and Abihu were the sons of Aaron. Uh, they took from off the altar a censer and they put fire in that censer from off the altar. God had not commanded them to do this. This was out of the keeping. This was not in the course of the order of temple worship. They did this on their own because they wanted to pursue an agenda that God wasn't pursuing. Go ahead. Fire went out from the Lord and devoured them when they did this. This is a public spectacle. 
and they died before the Lord. All right, here we have an example of profaning that which is holy. Second Chronicle 26, 16 through 21. We have another outstanding case. Uh, here's Uzziah. Uzziah has a tremendous blessing. Uzziah was prospered by God. His kingdom was successful. He was delivered from his enemies. He became extremely wealthy. He built many wonderful projects. Uh, but the Bible says his heart was lifted up. He became prideful at the position and the power that he had, and he had great blessing as king, but he wasn't satisfied to be a king. He wanted to be a priest, too. So he went into the temple, the Bible says, and, uh, and this was a desecration or a violation because the temple of God was holy. Go ahead. Azariah and 80 priests went in after him and said, this is bad scene, Uzziah. You don't belong in here. This is consecrated or holy ground. Okay, here's a fantastic passage of Scripture. It says, Uzziah goes in to the temple. The temple was not for him. The temple had a holy place as the pattern of the tabernacle, had the holy of holies, and only those who had been consecrated to the priesthood were able to go in. Uh, Uzziah says, I don't care what that is. I'm going in. I am uh, a man of great means. I'm in charge here. I'm going in. He goes in. They try to stop him. Eighty-one people says, don't do this. He goes in, and he becomes very angry with them because they're trying to uh, separate him from the profaning of that which is holy. He becomes very angry. And uh, while he's uh, having his temper fit, leprosy rises up in his forehead, and he died a leper. And this is written uh, as the conclusion of his life. He was a leper till the day of his death. He was had to be separated from the people because of the leprosy in his body, and he died in dishonor. Okay, some things and some places are holy, and some people are holy. Uh, so we want to look first at the vessels of the tabernacle and the temple. We get a great lesson here. Exodus 30, 22 uh, through, uh, through 33. Somebody like to read that loud, clear voice. Is Nick. I want uh, Daniel 5, 22 uh, and 23. Uh, it's Pete. I want Deuteronomy 7, 6. Somebody like to get that for us. Is uh, Leah, 1 Peter 2, 9. Uh, Brian, 1 Peter 2, 5. Uh, Pete, uh, Valerie, Revelations 1, 6. And I need Le Le Leviticus 10, 8 through 10. Somebody like to get that for me. Is Denny. All right. So some things, some places, and some people are said by the Bible to be holy. This will help us to understand the issue as we read these scriptures. Exodus 30, 22 through 33 is the consecration of the vessels of the tabernacle. Okay, here is a prescription. That prescription is very precise. 
God gives the exact measurements as you're making for this a holy anointing oil. Go ahead. You're going to anoint the tabernacle of the meeting and the Ark of the Covenant. You're going to set these aside to God. You're going to publicly consecrate these to God. Go ahead. The table and all its utensils, the lampstand and its utensils, and all its Everything that's involved in the tabernacle, you're going to consecrate. You're going to put the uh, anointing oil upon them. They're going to be consecrated to me. That's going to make them holy. This is the entire uh, uh, vessel, everything that's used, and the altar itself. You're going to consecrate them. They're going to be most holy. They're going to be set apart for me and for my use alone. Go ahead. Whatever touches them must be holy. Whatever touches them must be holy. Here's uh, those that are going to minister. They're going to uh, be the mediator between God and man. That's Aaron and his sons. They're going to be anointed. And consecrate them. That they may be Okay, this is going to be a holy anointing oil throughout your generations. This is going to be a practice that's going to be observed. They shall not be poured on a man's flesh. You're not going to just use this for your enjoyment. You're not going to take the perfume perfumery or the fragrance of this and pour it on man's flesh uh, simply to make him feel good. Nor shall you make any other like this is not for your enjoyment. You're not going to uh, use any substitute. You're not going to uh, uh, repeat this. This is singular and it's very uh, uh, precise. According to its composition, it is holy and it shall be holy to you. It is holy and you will keep it holy to you. If you try to copy this and put it on people who are outsiders, then uh, you're going to be cut off from your people. And the Lord said to Moses, Take loose spices, sack, amica, and galabella, and pure frankincense with these sweet spices. There shall be equal amounts of each. 33 is where I want you to quit. Okay. All right, he got excited. He's going to read the whole book for us. Okay, Daniel 5, 22 and 23. This is, a, this is an interesting sequel uh, that gives a little insight that this is not just a ritual. Daniel 5, 22 and Okay, this is uh, uh, many years later, 
the people of God have disobeyed because of their disobedience. The Lord has allowed uh, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, to come in. He uh, uh, takes hostages into the uh, Babylonian kingdom. He ransacks the temple. Uh, he takes out uh, the holy vessels that are there. And God allowed him to do this because he's judging his people because of their disobedience. Uh, 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 his uh, uh, son, Belshazzar, is found in Daniel 5. And so the years have rolled on, and uh, they're having a big party. And so uh, he thinks this is the ultimate of triumph over the king, uh, over the, uh, the God of uh, Israel. They bring out some of these vessels, and uh, they start having a wild, drunken orgy, and they're cursing the God of Israel and exalting the gods uh, of uh, gold and wood and stone, etc. And a hand comes out of the and writes on many, many tickle you parson, and uh, his judgment is uh, pronounced. And that day he died. Is an army, enemy army came in and he paid with his life. And God's writing to him the interpretation of that and said, "You knew about this. You knew." How God dealt with your father, Nebuchadnezzar, how he walked on his, uh, uh, on his, uh, uh, all four, was turned into an animal. The wonderful works that Daniel, uh, had, dis- uh, had demonstrated, made the third in the kingdom. You knew all this, and yet in your, uh, profaning of the name of God and that which belongs to him, I'm judging you today. Meany, meany, tickle you farson. You're found wanting, you're weighed in the balances, and it's all over for you, buddy. All right, here's a little added insight in this business of holiness. And so we want to move a little bit further before we have discussion uh, because believers are said to be holy. They're set apart for God. Deuteronomy 7, 6. All right, here are people, and these people are designated by God to be holy people. These are descendants of Abraham Isaac and Jacob. First Peter two nine. And the Lord knows how to deliver the godly activity and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the judgment. Is that first Peter two nine? Yes? Okay, well there's a little bit of transcribal error here. And so uh, let's have first Peter two five. You want to go back and find First Peter two nine for me? He just read First Peter two five, right? Two nine. Okay, because I checked this out this morning. Every scripture. Okay, uh, both of these, uh, this is written concerning believers. You're a holy priesthood. You're a holy people. So now believers are said to be holy. Why? Because they are set apart to God and this designation is upon them uh, by the Lord. Revelations 1.6. Okay, here's a set-apart people, and, and uh, then we want Leviticus 10, 8 through 10, a little bit of uh, added commentary. Leviticus 10, 8 through 10. Uh, 
Right. Aaron said to all the yuppies in 1999, you're a, you're a priest of God? How many of you are priests this morning? My, you're a timid bunch. I just read the scripture that said you're priests. How many of you are priests this morning? Okay. Now, we're going to get into the wine sippers. Go ahead. Uh, the reason I'm saying this to you, God says, is so that you can put a difference between the holy and the unholy and the clean and the unclean. Say, well, I'm a, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. That makes you a priest then. Where does it say in the Bible that I can't drink wine? Right there. Now, moving rapidly on here now, we'll... Uh... It's astonishing what the Bible does say, isn't it? See, we're, we are an irreverent generation. We want to have it all and do it all, but still be Christians. And I want to tell you that when you get into the subject of holiness, it begins to make you extremely nervous about the ramifications that God brings to you. And that includes beer, incidentally, if you're a beer sipper. Uh-oh, Bear's got us here. Okay, Bear... People trying to be holy without the Bible. He got a dose of this in the Catholic Church. Okay, Catholic retreats. This is a setting apart, and this is what it is. Go ahead. Three times a day. This is a symbol of your holiness. Okay. Okay, his little boys are seeing this ritual. There's something about human nature that really loves the mystery of ritual. Go ahead. Okay. External holiness. Okay. Okay. So this is, this is going to dictate the conduct that we have. And so uh, we have some aberration. I was just over in Malaysia. It's very interesting to me as we're standing at a uh, kind of a a lower-class Malaysian hotel, but and that means there's most of the Malaysians are in there. They had, and so they catered to Malaysians. And so uh, we're down eating breakfast. It uh, went with our room. And so uh, I was very interested that they got a little buffet there, and they had uh, beef bacon. See, Muslims can't eat pork. Beef bacon. Turkey ham. And chicken sausage. <laughs> I said, there it is. You know, if it's wrong, why don't you just stay away from it? That's like nicotineless cigarettes or uh, O'Doul's, you know. If your heart is still there, you might as well just eat the pig. I mean, <laughs> this was hilarious to me. And I tried some of all of them. It tastes exactly like bacon. It tastes exactly uh, like ham. And, uh, and I'm thinking to myself, this, this is a profound revelation of human nature. I want this, but I can't have this. And so I'm going to substitute something that tastes like it so that I can act like it. 
Are you still, have I got you mad yet? Christian cigarettes, nicotineless cigarettes. It's okay for cigarettes, for Christians to smoke those because there's no nicotine, nothing harmful in them. Odules taste just like that the sewer water that's beer. But it's not. Okay, we still with me, Dennis? Uh, Valerie. <laughs> I want to get to that. If you just hold off for a minute. I'm, co- I'm coming right down the pike, okay? So, I saw a sign on a car yesterday. It says, I'm straight, but not narrow. I'm straight, but not narrow. So, I'm thinking, now, what does that mean? He's not queer. But he wants you to know that he'll do anything in the sexual realm, including adultery, but he's not queer. Still with me? That's that's what's wrong with our generation, right there, and uh, and uh, and so then we can move into the holy looks. Uh, a lot of us who are Pentecostal background uh, is the long hair. Remember the long hair? They wear the buns, holy buns. It's kind of gone out of style now, but you still see them around. Long sleeves can't wear, can't have any long sleeve, can't wear any jewelry, black clothing. Uh, if you're extreme, you're back with the Amish, the hook and eyes. You know, the Amish people, buttons are, buttons are, are, are terrifying. I mean, buttons, you wear a button, you're gone. Hell's wide open for you. And uh, you can't have cars. Uh, you can put rubber tires from cars on your wagons, but no cars. Okay? You still with us? All right. But there is a principle, and we want to get into that. It has to do with our heart and our relationships, and so this is where we, we really, this is, has great meaning. Hebrews 12, 14, I want to, this again, Don Galati, will you get that for me? I want uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, somebody like to get this for me, quickly. Uh, Samantha, I want 2 Corinthians 6, 17, 18, Adam, I want 2 Timothy 2, 21, uh, Dennis, I want uh, 1 Peter 3, 3 through 6, uh, what is your name, Walters, uh, Sharon. And I want First Timothy 2, 9, and 10. It's uh, Randy. Okay, so first of all, it has to do with the attitude of the heart in your relationships. We saw that as we moved through Hebrews 12, verse 14. Let's have that again. All right, this is going to affect the relationships with your fellow man. And holiness is going to uh, play out into your attempt to, if possible, reconcile and, uh, if possible, live with your fellow man and warns us against bitterness and hatred, which is a violation. If you're not, you don't take care of this, bitterness and hatred is the danger of that. And so the attitude of our heart and our relationship. This is going to have to do with our conduct and our morals. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Okay, lays it out, says, uh, don't you know that uh, the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Thieves, uh, sodomites, uh, homosexuals, adulterers, you're not going to enter the kingdom of God. Fornicators. Go ahead. And such were some of you. And you were like that. I don't have to raise your, uh, have you raise your hands. Uh, we'd fill the place with enough uh, garbage to sink a ship. Go ahead. 
But you are washed. This is a wonderful blessing of being a Christian. You are sanctified. What that sanctification that means being set apart unto God. This is what the, the, this is what God done for you in salvation. He's washed you and sanctified you and made you holy. That's really what we're talking about. Then we have Second Corinthians six seventeen and eighteen. Therefore, come you out from among them, and be you separate. That's what holiness is about. It's a separation from the filth, the uncleanness, and the defilement of this present world. And God says, I want you to come out from among them. Don't be involved in those practices, and I will receive you, and I'll be your God, and you'll be my sons and my daughters. Second Timothy 2.21 All right, this again, uh, you, uh, you uh, uh, purge yourself from these. There's a responsibility you have, and you'll be a vessel unto honor, sanctified. That's what set apart to God. This is what holiness is all about. So we want to get down to dress and appearance because it's going gonna, it's gonna to involve that. I had a pastor. I get calls all the time from pastor. I had a pastor. He said, Pastor, I've got a young woman in my church. She wears skin-tight pants. He says, is there anything I can do about that? <laughs> well, <clears throat> a little preaching would uh, help out. But I said I would approach her and I would say to her, uh, Sister, uh, this, is, uh, this is sensual. This is uh, embarrassing. And uh, I'd suggest that you not wear that to church. Getting nervous yet? So I said, that's what I would do and, and deal with her and point out to her a few scriptures that have to do with modesty. How many of you know what modesty is? It have to do with modesty. And so first Peter three, three through six has a little insight on this. Don't put your emphasis on your outward appearance. That can be uh, very detrimental to your Christian testimony. Concentrate on cultivating a heart holiness. Put on the ornament of a meek and a quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. So this is where the the uh, Jesus onlys get there. No, uh, no uh, fixing your hair. You let it grow straight. Don't cut it. Make it up in a bun. And uh, and uh, uh, this is where they get that from. Okay, don't wear jewelry. Uh, any kind of wedding rings is a desecration before God. Okay, it doesn't say that. First Timothy two nine and ten. That women adorn themselves with modest apparel. Go ahead. Okay, here are the two scriptures that have to do with dress. They have a lot to say in that. Uh, One is not to go to extremes. On the other hand, there certainly ought to be some kind of modesty. I just preached a 
a while back on boob shirts. When I sent the teams into Mexico, I said, you go into Mexico, no boob shirts, no shorts. Boob shirts are sleeveless. You can see uh, clear through to New York City, you know. They're revealing. Uh, they're not modest and uh, no plunging necklines. If you're a little short guy, all you can see is the cleavage. But if you're a big, tall guy, you can keep clear down to the Mexican border. That's not modesty. So interesting to me. We were in Israel last year, and, and we're going into a Greek Orthodox church, mind you. A Greek Orthodox church. And uh, they turned back to the ladies because they had boob shirts on. You still with me? Greek Orthodox. said, you can't come in here with that. They had to go down to the stand, buy a shirt, cover up the boobs. Okay? So this also has to do with casual attire. See, our generation uh, has moved into casual attire. We have uh, preachers. They're wearing Hawaiian shirts and shorts and uh, Nikes. And uh, that's how... And uh, our generation loves it because we live in a generation of rebellion. They love it. Now, uh, if they were applying for a job, and it's going to mean some pay in their paycheck, they'll dress up in a nice suit, put on a tie, right? But if it's God, who cares? Right? So. Why do you folks dress nice? Because we're going to appear before God. That doesn't mean that you, uh, that you have to uh, go overboard, but there is a spirit, and that spirit is uh, one of irreverence and one of uh, non-consideration. And I want to add to that baseball caps. In church. It's a sign of rebellion. Okay, having laid that to rest, let's put it out. Troops have it. Fire away. Questions, comments? Paul? Paul?